hello and a warm welcome back to R. As the winter months roll in and the frost begins to blossom on trees like an icy flowering spider's web, my mind turns to a Christmas story of long ago. It was a simpler time when children played in forests, not on their phone. A time when life seemed so much easier. But how did everything change? Well, today we're going to learn about the Grinch who stole Christmas. How Stalin rose to power. The story will come in five chapters. His personality, his positions of power, policies, weakness of opposition, and that good old Christmas look. Stalin was often described as the Grey Blur, a boring bureaucrat that nobody took great notice to. After the death of Lenin's chief administrator, Sverdlov, in 1919, Stalin became wound up tight with the organisation of the Bolshevik Party and the state. He became the leader of the Org Bureau in May, and by April 1922, Stalin gained the illustrious position of General Secretary. Here, it is clear that Stalin's positions of power were inextricable from his personality at the time. As the Great Blur, Stalin was defined and importantly underestimated as a result of his job. Yet, his personality shines through with how he used these positions. Stalin was referred to by Trotsky as Comrade Card Index as a result of the extensive portfolios he had created of members of the Bolshevik Party. He thus had an ear to the thoughts and persuasions of many within the party, something that would be important in ensuring his ideas were popular. Stalin was, therefore, a great organiser with an eclectic knowledge of the nature of the party. Importantly, however, Stalin had the means to manifest his knowledge in his ruthlessness. A child of backwater, macho Georgia, Stalin had fought, robbed, raped and killed in his journey from revolutionary to leading Bolshevik. He was thus prepared to be coldly decisive when the time called. Stalin was also no intellectual slouch either. In 1924, he and Trotsky held extensive debates in what is often referred to as the literary discussion, which was more of a war of words between the two rivals. It was the boring bureaucrat, not the famous orator, Trotsky, that came out on top. Ultimately, Stalin was a very adept political actor. Perhaps the best example of this is in the 13th Party Congress in May 1924. Here, Trotsky was attacked by the Troika of Zinoviev, Kalinev and Stalin. After they delivered firebrand polemics warning the Congress of Trotsky's apparent designs on a dictatorship, he was defeated in votes, and after continued assaults by Zinoviev and Kamenev throughout 1924, Trotsky was demoted from his position of Commissar of War in 1925. But, as Zinoviev and Kamenev were calling for Trotsky's expulsion from the party, Stalin stepped in and, in, in, and insisted he stayed. Stalin was therefore seen as a moderate and a peacemaker, as opposed to Zinoviev and Kamenev, who soon grew a reputation as splitters, which contrived directly against the 1921 ban on factions. It is thus clear that Stalin was an astute political actor. His personality in general was a sinister mix of cold ruthlessness, cunning self-effacement and Machiavellian politicking. I've already br briefly mentioned the positions of power that Stalin gained, yet these were only considered as a product of the underestimation of his personality. However, these amount to underestimations purely because Stalin was given a great mass of political tools he could utilise in his quest for power. As General Secretary, Stalin could change the agendas of meetings in the highest offices of government, like in the Politburo. As leader of the old Bureau, Stalin had a hand in staffing decisions and thus could promote his own supporters. Stalin consistently won votes at party congresses. For example, at the 14th Party Congress in December 1925, Zinoviev and Kamenev attempted to defeat Stalin with a vote of no confidence and an end to the NEP. 
Yet, Stalin won every single vote with support from the party. Likewise, the 18th Party Congress saw Bukharin's attempt to defend the NEP fail due to Stalin's opposition. However, the strength of these positions can easily be overwrecked. The most important element of Stalin's administrative role was the wealth of information it provided, and this could ensure Stalin's policies were popular. Thus, the extent to which Stalin's positions were crucial in the power struggle is dependent on how popular his policies were. And, overall, the popularity of Stalin's policies were the most important factor in securing Stalin's primacy in the USSR. Stalin's positions and personality both allowed him to keep ideologically close to the prevailing opinion in the Bolshevik party. Stalin valued the culture of the party rank and file, and adopted policies like socialism in one country in 1925, which were more simplistic ideas that the more illiterate party mass would find amiable compared to the complex Marxist arguments of old Bolsheviks like Trotsky. This policy also played off feelings of Russian nationalism and exceptionalism that often con convinced through stirring emotional responses. Responsive to changing moods, Stalin also showed his popularist edge in the fickleness of his policies. Stalin initially laid on the left of the party, supporting figures like Zinoviev and Kamenev. Yet by 1925, Stalin had become a staunch defender of right-wing policies like the continuation of the NEP, getting into bed with the rightists like Bukharin and Rykov. However, after the leftist opposition was expelled, including Trotsky and Zinoviev at the 15th Party Congress in 1927, Stalin began to turn against the right and the NEP. After the procurement crisis of 1927-28, where the government procured only a third of its grain targets, the mood of the party quickly changed, and Stalin saw an opportunity to oust the right. He went behind Bukharin's back to develop the anti-NEP collectivization foreshadowing Ural-Siberian method in 1928, and in the 18th Party Congress, Stalin had a, and his wealth of supporters attacked the NEP. Defeated, Bukharin was ousted from the Politburo in November 1929. Stalin's changeability reflects a lack of ideological conviction. The policies were a means to an end, and the end was popularity and victory over his rivals. But it cannot be denied that these rivals made huge errors in the course of Stalin's journey from desktop bureaucrat to despot autocrat. Perhaps the most major of these is how underestimated Stalin was at the start of his career. As stressed before, Stalin received a great dose of power in administrative jobs that even Lenin suggested he shouldn't have received, as per his last testament. That brings me on to another failure, the suppression of the last testament itself. Written in, in December 1922, but released only after Lenin's death in 1924, the testament called out the erroneous ways of figures like Trotsky, Rykov, Biatkov, Kamenev, Zinoviev, and, importantly, Stalin. The words in the testament would have ended Stalin's chance of leadership, having been bashed for his incapacity to use his authority with sufficient caution. However, in an effort to suppress the rhetoric against them, members of the Politburo chose to conceal the testament, thereby destroying their best weapon against Stalin. Other illustrations of failures exist. Trotsky had joined the Bolsheviks in August 1917, who was far too high-minded. Members of the public couldn't understand his complex speeches. He was dismissive of others and garnered resentment and distrust rather than support. He didn't attend Lenin's funeral through sickness, but his arrogance ensured that this was perceived as a slight rather than genuine dilemma. Lastly, on Trotsky, it must be remembered that he, as Commissar for War, held the keys to the Red Army, and therefore, in real terms, held all the cards at the start of the power struggle. His refusal to act decisively and use the army for his benefit showed to be a mistake quickly, as he was deprived of his commissariat in 1925. Trotsky wasn't the only rival to make serious errors. 
to Novyev and Kalnev's opposition to the October Revolution formed the backbone of many attacks on the pair, including a 1924 work by Trotsky called The Lessons of October. Moreover, Zinoviev and Kamenev's bitter attacks on Trotsky in 1924 are rendered quasi-satirical in the context of their eventual alliance in the 1926 United Opposition. It's very clear, therefore, that Stalin's opposition had serious weaknesses. Yet, it can be maintained that it takes someone of great political acumen to exploit said weaknesses. Was Stalin lucky in the power struggle? Well, he certainly was faced with beneficial situations. Trotsky's absence at Lenin's funeral, the procurement crisis occurring just after the left had been defeated, the death of Sverdlov in 1919, all saw Stalin's political capital boosted, despite him not doing anything. Again, though, luck is nothing without the ability to exploit the given conditions. Furthermore, Stalin wasn't without his own share of bad fortune. Stalin's policy of socialism in one country was brought into question when Chinese communists were crushed without any support from the USSR in 1927. In the context of things clearly not being plain sailing for Stalin, and with the additional reasoning that Stalin had to exploit his luck using his own political skill, it seems like an ill-found point to describe Stalin's rise to power as lucky. That brings us to an end of the factors. I think, above anything else, it must be remembered that these factors are linked. Yet it's hard, it is hard to avoid the conclusion that Stalin's personality and popularity were the two most important factors. Ultimately, guided by populism, Stalin worked to develop a sense of what the majority wanted. By sticking tooth and nail to this, he swiped away opposition with ease, using their minority to label them as splitters, skillfully utilising the 1921 ban on factions to expose rivals and exert his own tyrannical policies in the years to come. Oh, and well, that's how the Grinch stole Christmas. I hope you enjoyed uh, today's podcast. and. Um, yeah, that brings me to an end. So, thank you very much. Merry Christmas, everyone. Play outro.